you will really be retargeted and given content to confirm things are bad and you will miss opportunities. Hello, hello, hello. This is Dominic Neshi, and this is the Wealthy Podcast, our 100th episode. And today we are talking to none other than the great Peter Esho. Peter, Thanks, thank you for joining the show. Uh, today we're going to be talking about um, the things that we've learned over 100 episodes of Firing Away at this podcast, uh, things that we've seen change, how the world has changed, and most importantly, what opportunities we're seeing in the market. So, you know, this is kind of reminiscent of what we were doing a year ago. It's a bit of deja vu, isn't it? Yeah, about a year and a half ago, you and I sat in, in an empty building when everybody had had evacuated in the first wave and, and we tried to make sense of what the world would look, look like. And here we are now trying to make sense of what happens next. We're in lockdown. Again, we're sitting in our homes and, and um, you know, sitting isolated in our offices. And the world today looks very different than the world you know, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, and it's about looking forward and trying to have the right mindset, the right the right context, I believe, is important in order to be successful around investing going forward. That's a really good way of thinking about it, the right context. And for you, what is the context of this current economic investment environment? What's What's changed for you over the past 100 episodes that has shifted your opinion and how are you looking at the investment landscape now? I think Tom, we see a world that doesn't make sense to us and the first reaction is to try to fend off or try to be defensive. Nobody likes to admit that they don't know. We have an inherent habit as humans in that we, we try to make sense and tell ourselves stories. But if you start with the premise that we don't know what will happen in the future, and nobody really knows in this in this world, um, and you have a look at the factors that have changed, I think, in recent history, the one thing that stood out to me the most is how the concept around money has changed so much. So what I mean by that is what we saw at the beginning of the pandemic. This wasn't the first time we saw a stock market decline or a, or a financial um, burden on the global economy. But it was a very, very big shock in a short period of time. And what we saw is, is an unprecedented amount of money printing by governments so that they can give you know, bailouts and help the population deal with lockdowns. And also central banks reducing interest rates to rates that we haven't seen ever. And I believe that's going to have repercussions and that's going to have an impact on everything in our life going forward. So not only are we dealing with these health challenges, we're trying to make sense of them, whether it's vaccination, whether it's risk management from an epidemiology approach, our health system, our socialization, but the whole way we think about money, assets, investments is changing. And I think we need to change with the realities. It's, it's interesting because it's, we're facing a lot of the smart money has taken an interesting stance on how things are going to roll out because we're printing we've printed more money than ever mm -hmm. in in the last 12 to 24 months or 12 months and we've seen inflation and the conversations we were t having last year was that hey 
There's, we're printing lots and lots of money. This is crazy levels of money. It's gonna come into the economy and we're going to see asset prices increase. We're gonna see the prices of materials increase. We will see some inflation. And we've seen that. We've seen mm -hmm. GDP growth, albeit slow. But normally when you see asset prices grow, when you see inflation, people tend to think, well, we're going to see interest rates also increase. But that's not what we're seeing. It's the opposite. We're seeing people say, yes, we're seeing inflation in timber, in steel, in cost of goods and bits and pieces and asset prices, but we're not seeing that, that inflation rate at a healthy level. We're not seeing uh, wage growth. So interest rates will stay low for the foreseeable future, two, three, four, maybe five years. And with that, everybody needs to reshift about how they think about a real return. Yeah, the game's changed and you need to change the way you play the investment game. So when we were growing up um, and when we were starting to buy assets ourselves, uh, we were happy with a seven or a eight percent return per annum. That was actually a pretty good return. If you could do your tens or your twenties or your thirties, fantastic. But if you sat down and said to investors, what would you be happy with, with a residential property, for example, or with a small commercial property, it was something in that order. And now because the reality has changed, because the whole concept of money has changed, you can't use the old rules to play the game today and into the future. If you can go out and you can borrow at one or 2%, right? You can go and get a residential mortgage, uh, if, even if it's on a variable or a short-term fixed rate, you're still being able to acquire uh, debt at that rate, you need to realign your investment metrics and your investment returns. So today we're saying residential real estate now trading at a 4% yield or a 5% yield if you're really, really lucky. And I believe, and it's not just me, but the bond market, the markets are telling us that interest rates are likely to remain low for a very long time. If you have a look at interest rate expectations in Australia and even in the US, in the past three months, Dom, they've started to come down. So post-COVID, the recovery, everyone was fearful about timber prices, steel prices, all these prices running away. But now the smart money is looking forward and saying, no, the impact of these lockdowns is deflationary. There is a real, real economic struggle here. Closed cafes, restaurants, hairdressers, empty roads. The money that they're printing and the debt that they're giving is to offset the pressure in the economy. And so I believe that we're going to be in an environment where rates aren't going to rise for a very long time. And that means that if you're sitting on cash or if you're fortunate enough to be a wealthy investor, you need to seek a return. And so anything that gives you a stable return is going to become ultra, ultra competitive. That's it's a it's a very good piece of advice. Uh... You know, we predicted that we'd see price growth in spite of COVID because of all the stimulus. We saw stimulus, we saw policy change, and then we saw the cost of credit go down. But then we also knew there was gonna be tight supply. Tight supply, all of these things that are pushing uh, demand up means price growth. And we're in an environment now where there's more stimulus. Policy is shifting towards incentivizing and keeping property prices high. There's all these different grants that allow for first time investors to get in, single uh, parents to get into the market with low deposit schemes. Credit is still low and will remain low for the foreseeable future. Do you foresee property prices to continue trending upwards? 
it depends what type of property and I think um, you need to be careful of buying the wrong property. And what I mean by that is when interest rates come down, when, when returns start to get hard to, to, to generate, people start to take on board more risk. So because you can no longer get a 5 or a 6% return, when somebody comes and offers you that, uh, it, it will probably have a lot more risk today than it did five or six years ago. And you need to be careful if you're jumping into an investment that you know that, that is giving you a return uh, that is above 4% or 5%, there's usually something wrong with it. There's a cash. There's no such thing as a free lunch because the market's efficient. We've got technology now. So when my parents were buying real estate, um, you know, back 30 or 40 years ago, the way you bought real estate was being friends with the real estate agent and driving past houses and seeing signboards and driving past the real estate office and having a look in the window. Today, you have the internet. It's a much more efficient market. If I'm seeing an opportunity, 10,000 other people are seeing an opportunity. And so you've got to be really careful that you don't go into inferior markets to chase returns. You, you don't, you, you, it's better to take a lower return. It's better to take a 3% return and have a stable income than to take a 5% return and go and buy something that's really, really at, at the mercy of price risk. So I think, you know, real estate today and real estate over the next five or 10 years isn't necessarily going to be about prices rising. It's going to be about quality breaking out. The quality assets are going to break out even further. Investors are going to pay premiums. And the mediocre are going through their glory days today, but they're going to be exposed because there's going to be income risk. There's going to be a, a fallout from these lockdowns and fallout from COVID, which we have still yet to see. Yeah, I think that's an important point. You know, one thing that I've noticed and what I've really appreciated over the past three years of these hundred episodes is to not undervalue good quality, stable investments. Because I talk to so many different people that are trying to outperform, they're trying to beat the market, they're trying to find the super normal profits. And I've watched way too many people get hurt doing that. When there's a boom time run, there's an element of silly money that comes in. Mm. There's a frenzied feeling where people want to just get in, get in, buy something that has to be this, got to be that. And they've got all these preconceived ideas about what property should be. Property prices run at a rampant rate in particular markets because it's the, you know, the flavor of the month. But there are all of these uncut gems everywhere, but people are scared to go for that normal real return. You know, I think going and buying a high quality apartment in Sydney in a good area, less than 20Ks from the CBD for less, you know, six, seven hundred thousand dollars yielding, you know, between three and say 4% is where they are at the moment is phenomenal. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic deal. It's a fantastic deal. And if you look about it, if you look at that as an investment over a 10 year time frame, it's phenomenal. And because you've got to look at Sydney as a really good top performing global city in a market that in the, the world stage is fantastic. Now, you know, the, the other thing is that I'm seeing that the people trying to outperform, trying to do something crazy is I always say this and excuse the French before I say it, property is easy. You just got to not fuck it up. Mm. You know, 
I've got friends and family that are looking in regional cities because it was the flavor of the month. They don't know <coughs> nothing about the regional city. There's no population growth. It's, it's terrifying. It's, it's a moment in the sand. Like maybe look at some sub markets, but I wouldn't be trading out there if you don't have to be. Anyways, that's my little gripe. Uh, is there any one particular thing that stands out to you? Like how are you, what's your message to the market as an investor that is someone that's coming in as a first time investor? They're listening to our podcast, have been on the fence for a little while. What should they be looking at or what should they be thinking coming into this environment? I think uh, a couple of things that I've learned uh, from these past hundred episodes and building our business and maturing our investments and everything else, I think grit is very important. Uh, so I think if you're coming into real estate and real estate investment, you need to have patience, you need to have grit, you need to be able to take punches, you need to, to be able to deal with problems. Problem solving skills are going to be more important as an investor in the next 10 or 20 years than, that, than what they were. And so what I mean by that is a lot of people, for example, jump on YouTube and they do their research and they watch our podcasts and you have two, two camps. Uh, the camp that is genuinely looking for a solution or the camp that's genuinely looking for confirmation bias. So they're out there searching for, you know, property market problems, reasons, issues not to make an investment. And that's fine. That'll give you a nice feeling. Um, someone coming in saying to you, you know, property market's going to crash or there's going to be problems will get a lot more views than someone saying to you, hey, this is my simple investment narrative. Your three or a four percent is a very, very good return and go with it. And so you need to distinguish. Are you looking for a f good feeling or are you looking for, a, for, a, for something difficult, uncomfortable when you're starting out? but is actually going to give you a, a good return and is going to get you on your path into the future. Real estate is simple. Investing is simple. You've got risk and return. And so you want the best return without having to take too much risk, Dom. And so my advice to people is that um, be very, very conscious that if you're going to make good investments, they're going to be difficult. You're going to run into problems. There's going to be uh, a necessity to deal with a few issues and a few uncertainties. But the most important thing is starting, uh, working with really, really good people and focusing on the fundamentals. Yeah, I like the idea of being gritty, you know, taking your time, sticking to it, problem solving. You know, no matter what investments you buy, you're gonna encounter all sorts of issues and Real estate is a big, cumbersome asset. It takes a lot to go and buy it. You've got yeah. to go research it. It's a real thing. Real things tend to break. That's, that's just the law of like entropy. Um, you know, there's complicated contracts. You've got to organize the finance. There's different ways to cut up your finances. Any number of markets that you could jump into, a hundred different structures, but, and things go wrong. So I like the idea of being gritty Mm. by simplifying the process, work within the means that you have, but also be open to just looking, you know, a little bit away from where you are today. You know, I think for me, my advice to people coming in and learning about real estate is you're going to come to the table with a hundred ideas about how you think it should be done. But what the hell do you know? <laughs> and be prepared yeah. to be wrong. Be, be prepared, yeah. like it's okay being wrong. We're wrong all the time. I'm wrong all the time. My children tell me how wrong I am. My wife tells me how wrong I am. 
you know, my team tells me when I'm wrong. I love that. I like to be shown otherwise. And I think if you're an investor and you have preconceived ideas and you're coming into this market, be open to the fact that your narrative might be wrong. Okay, we, we could be wrong. We're happy with that. Anybody that can prove us wrong, that's fine. Come and show us where, where we are wrong. And so when you have an open mind, you become more level-headed. You can see opportunities greater. You will see things starting to open up as opposed to being narrow, confirmation bias, and looking for things that conform to your preconceived ideas, which might be outdated in a very, very different world. And can I ask you, Pete, knowing all the things that you know now, all the information that you've gathered, people that you're talking to, um, what do you want to invest into next? What's your next property investment? What things are you thinking about as high quality real estate investments yep. um, for the next foreseeable future? Yeah, really good question. So one of the things that the pandemic has taught me is vulnerabilities. No matter how much you plan, uh, you can't expect the unexpected. So uh, if, you, if you're investing, you need to look at where your vulnerabilities are. So the way I'm thinking about my portfolio now, where are my vulnerabilities? My vulnerabilities will be around my tenants leaving in existing properties. I'm not too worried about values moving up and down because I plan to hold over the long term. Um, you know, maintenance issues, asset issues, buildings collapsing, those sorts of things. And I really believe in a concept around the law of large numbers. The more numbers you add to a sample, uh, so let's take you and I, for example, we're two entrepreneurs building a business and we have a certain amount of, of characteristics. If you go and add more entrepreneurs, so if you go and have a room 50,000 entrepreneurs or 500,000 entrepreneurs, you're going to pick up better trends. The more entrepreneurs you add, the better idea you'll start to build around what it's like building a business um, and so on. And so it's the same with real estate. To me, I believe that I would rather add another property to my portfolio that's smaller and that gives me a diversified income stream. For example, a $500,000 apartment that gives me a rental stream, then going in, I'd rather have three $500,000 apartments than a $1.5 million asset. I'd rather three income streams than one income stream as an investment. Three things that I can mitigate risk around rather than having my eggs in one basket. So risk management to me, is starting to become really important and I believe small is beautiful in a world that has more risk or risk that we can't exactly define and we don't know what will happen into the future. That's interesting hearing that from you because I know you've got big assets. Yeah. Most and of your assets are big. Yeah, and now I want to diversify. So I want to, I want to add more smaller assets so that as an overall portfolio, I can take hits, I can be wrong, and that's okay. Me being wrong is not going to be detrimental and is not going to kill me and wipe me out. Survival is the game. I want to have a portfolio that's going to survive time. And I don't know what the future will look like. So I want to survive in the future. I don't want to be taken out by vulnerabilities. It makes a lot of sense. And look, I really agree with you. I think buying a you know, a bunch of assets that are five, six hundred thousand dollars is a really good noble pursuit. You can diversify across states. You can diversify across asset types, as in houses. You can buy townhouses, apartments. You can buy all sorts of types of real estate in very, very different areas that have got different tenants, and they will have um, different returns, but will normalize over a long, long run. 
So I like that. But I also want to point to the fact that buying those big assets doesn't hurt either. No. It's, you know? It depends, it depends um, where you are on your journey. Everyone's circumstance is different. One of the things we talk about, Dom and I talk about to our team is if I go to the gym on my first day, I can't compare myself to someone that's been working out for 10 years. I can't go there and expect the same. I need to compare myself with who I was yesterday, not someone that's been doing the same thing for 10 years. So if you're watching this and you haven't started your investment journey, we're very different. And I can't go and compare myself with an institutional investor that has you know billions of dollars of capital behind them and are making certain moves because that I'm in a different lane. So you have to understand where you are. But I think if you're growing and if you're building, small is beautiful and you can build and do larger and larger things. And then when you are large, you can also add smaller and smaller. So it depends where you are. What's your biggest fear for investors now, for people coming into the market looking to buy real estate? What's the biggest fear that you have or the biggest mistake you hear people saying to you when you're at the, you're not at barbecues now, but I know that you're talking to people. My biggest fear is Facebook and Google's algorithm. And I'll tell you why. We live in a world today where if you have a political view here or here, we are at war with each other. If you have a view on faith, on exercise, on health, on medicine, on epidemiology, we are at extremes. And I think if you have a preconceived view around investments, if you think the property market is rising or crashing, Facebook and Google's algorithms are likely to give you very, very divergent and unbalanced views. And I think what happens if you're in the camp where you're worried, you'll be giving content that confirms your worry. It, you're not being exposed to different views. And I think if, you know, if you've been hurt by the pandemic or you have family that's been hurt by the pandemic or you've had a bad experience, you will really be retargeted and given content to confirm things are bad and you will miss opportunities. So one of the hacks I, I use in my life, and I always tell my friends about this, I intentionally try to follow people that have views I disagree with, right? And you know this, you know how much I chop and change, Dom, around my views. But I learn more, I expose myself to more opportunities. And I think if you stay in your cocoon, no matter what your worldview is on any topic, particularly investments, you will miss opportunities. It's better to change your view, open up your mind and be wrong than to stay stuck and miss opportunities. It's a really good way to think about things. You know, I often say that everything works. Mm. It sounds like a dumb, dumb sentiment, but with investments, you know, there's so many ways that you can cut it up. You can go buy your own home, renovate it, sell it. You can buy a block of land, cut it up, subdivide it. You can buy an apartment, rent it out, and then you know earn lots and lots of money. I had a good conversation with a gentleman just on the phone earlier. He bought a, he's an agent in Newcastle. Uh, I'm gonna shout out to the bull uh, from Welcomes Real Estate. Now, a couple of years ago, uh, he bought an apartment in the Stellar Development. Now, people, were calling him mad. He's been in the real estate market for 40 years, okay? Yeah. So he's seen, he's seen property prices in the area where you could buy like a house for $40,000, you know what I mean? Like crazy values. He's been in the market in Newcastle since, there was a, point, a time when Newcastle and Sydney prices were a parity, they're very close. He went and bought an apartment in Newcastle city that was 750 sort of odd thousand dollars. People thought he was mad 
but he looked at it from a longer term perspective because at that time in the market, there was um, hundreds of apartments coming in, but he recognized that there was going to be a natural supply, uh, supply would hit a limit and then this type of accommodation would become very rare. Just today, they got it valued and that apartment next door sold for a million fifty. So I, I tell that story because some people say, oh, it's buying an apartment off the plan is stupid. But this man that owns real estate, that owns houses, has small scale developments bought off the plan apartment. And in the space of two and a half years has made uh, nearly $300,000. Everything works. Everything you just, works. You just got to have an open mind. And I think another thing is you need to, um, you need to see changes for what they are. So a lot of times we think about a cycle over the course of a seven or a 10 year cycle. We think of short term cycles, but I think it's also important to look at long term cycles. And so the real estate market tends to go through a seven or a 10 year cycle in most metropolitan cities. You have a peak, which is not a good time to buy. And then when everyone's telling you it's so bad in the market, that's usually the best time to buy. And it goes like that. But there's also a, a big term cycle, Don, and that is the, the overall debt cycle. So what we're seeing today is interest rates at levels that we haven't seen, and they're likely to stay ultra, ultra low, maybe even go negative over the next few years. That's not me saying it. That's the bond market saying it. The biggest traders in the world are making these expectations. Westpac have just revised down their interest rate expectations for the next 10 years. ANZ, all the big banks are moving in this way. And so we haven't seen this type of shock. We haven't seen this type of credit since the Second World War. And if you go back before that, the mid 1800s and go back. So you need to think your seven or your 10 year cycles, but also your 100 and 200 year cycles, because we haven't had a pandemic for 100 years. You know, and so you need to take these things into mind. So when you're saying that this gentleman bought this apartment and he made this view or someone's going to go and buy a house or a townhouse or whatever it is, and you're projecting forward, you need to project forward what will happen in the short term, but what's going to happen in the next 30 or 40 years. I agree. That's that's the vision. When you've seen, when you've been in a market and watch, when you've watched it evolve over 10, 15, 20 years, you get a sense of time and scale. You get a sense of what people can do, what population does to a city. You know, you can actually see how things evolve, grow, and you get a better sense of value. So whether or not a property has gone up 10 or $15,000, that'll turn someone off. Like in this market, people are not used to saying, people are not used to going and seeing a deal today and then it goes up $10,000 tomorrow and they go like, I don't want it anymore. Mm. $10,000 put them off. But they're not looking at the longer term cycle. So let's have a look at, you know, um, let's have a look at Melbourne very quickly. Yeah. Great market. Great market. We've been saying it's a great market. And we've been saying that it's, it's a depressed market because they were in lockdown for four months. Yeah. People underestimated the physical, mental, social impacts of being locked up for four months does to you. Like we're already seeing it in our business. If people are less inclined to go buy investments in their own home because you're, you're physically locked up, you can't do anything. Yeah. Now, in the same breath, the reason why we've been saying the market's going to run is because we can see that when markets open up, when people start to breathe again, they go and 
they're sick and stale of their two-bedroom apartment, they're going to go and buy things. Yeah. So if you're looking at the, the bigger, longer cycle of Melbourne market, it is depressed. There's not a lot going on over there, but there are really, really good opportunities where there's huge once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-generation um, sp- uh, spending on, on uh, infrastructure where you can go buy a house that's 40 minutes from the CBD for five fifty, six dollars $600,000. That's inconceivable in Sydney, and yet they've got the same population as Sydney. 100%. And uh, just on Melbourne, Melbourne's traditionally been an international migration story. A lot of the, um, the, the nationalities that come and migrate to Australia value land. And Melbourne's land is more abundant and, and, and it has a lower entry level. But since the borders have been closed, uh, Melbourne's had a double whammy because not only haven't the international arrivals been coming, but you've had interstate migration to Queensland. People have been running away from the lockdowns. That's not a trend that's likely to last over the long term. That is a perfect, perfect short-term trend. And what's happened is Brisbane, the Brisbane housing market has been bid up and the Melbourne housing market has been bid down. That gap now is very, very large. And as an investor, if you're thinking about the next 20, 30, 50 years, Melbourne's population is going to exceed Sydney's population based on the, on the, on the projections. Migration is going to open up. It might not open up this year, next year or the year after, but eventually Australia is an island. It cannot remain closed forever. They're going to come to Melbourne. They're going to come to Victoria. And so you're going to have you know, one or two years of big catch-up and you're going to have gains there. Brisbane, conversely, is an extreme market. So in 2003, they had a 60% growth year and then nothing happened. 2011, the market was about to take off. They had the floods. 2014, they had coal prices coming down. Uh, 2016, they had a government that opened up the supply floodgates and and allowed for excess supply. And then 2018, the banks changed rules around lending and we had a royal commission. So... We look at these things. We look 10, 20, 30 year cycles. And you're exactly right. Melbourne today is a great investment opportunity if you're willing to play the long game. And look, and and call a spade a spade. I do think that Brisbane is a good market. You've got the Olympics that's been announced, but I don't think it's a silver spoon. Not all areas are going to grow equally. Uh, And another thing to be mindful of is that the market is running extremely hot, especially because of the owner occupiers, the government incentives, Land is being sucked up and prices have moved very quickly. I still think there's good value there, but you've just got to be very careful who, you, who you're going to business with in that market. Definitely. That's a bit of a, a, a ramble and a rant. We've got to chat about a few different things. What I want to do now, Pete, this is our 100th episode, so this is a special show. Um, what we're going to do is uh, zoom across to our, our wealthy expat podcast, Christopher Hines is um, leading our, our London team in the UK. He's talking to Australian expats that want to invest back in Australia. So we'll just skip over there, see what Chris has to say about the London market, and um, we'll come back to you shortly. Hi, Dom and Peter. Congratulations on your 100th podcast. Quick update on what's been happening in the UK. So we saw the end of the stamp duty holiday on the 30th of June. 
uh, it created a frenzy of activity in June alone. So we saw just over 213,000 properties transacted in June, uh, which is the busiest month since April of 2005. Um, so that was obviously driven by the end, the kind of the hurry to get in before the end of the stamp duty holiday ended. Uh, and a lot of just pent up demand in general from people being locked up over the last uh, 12 to 18 months now. So uh, it was good to see. We've still got the stamp duty holiday in play up to £250,000. So I think you'll continue to, continue to see a lot of activity for places like Liverpool and Manchester, Birmingham and Leeds and the likes uh, where you can get into an established area at an affordable price point. But it'll be interesting to see how the boom does continue to grow over the next six to 12 months. Uh, as confidence is instilled back in the people of the UK. We also saw Nationwide come out uh, last week and they've now introduced a 1% or sub 1% interest rate uh, on a fixed five-year deal. So it'll be interesting to see if any other banking institutes follow in the suit of, of what Nationwide have now implemented. On the other end of the scale in terms of price point, uh, properties in excess of five million pounds have started transacting again at quite a large number. Uh, over the last six months, we've seen 237 properties transact over £5 million, and that's a 59% increase on the same period of time uh, last year in 2020. Obviously, it was depressed last year due to COVID uh, and lockdowns that were put in play, but now we're moving out of it uh, and international investment borders are reopening. We're seeing a lot more investment from overseas, which is good for the UK. Um, I guess the UK at some point is reliant on overseas investment. So it'll be interesting to see how that does pick up over the next six to 12 months and how the market does keep moving in the right direction. But I hope that's been a nice short update for you. And if you've got any questions, let me know, but enjoy the podcast boys and we'll speak soon. Chris, thank you very much for that breakdown. That was very, very interesting. Um, I find it, I, I really like listening to what is happening in international markets because these global cities, I, I, I think of them like the bigger brother to Sydney. You know, there's the leading indicators and then there's the followers and Sydney is a bit of a follower in that way. They say that if, if a, a, a America catches a cold or Sydney, Sydney will, will, you know, will, will sneeze. Um, but the UK market, it's fascinating. So already what, what we've been talking about is interest rates are at all time low and they're talking about 1% interest rates. So. It's nuts. I mean, have you got any thoughts on that, Peter, and what's happening over in the UK? Yeah, look, Tom, I think if there's one thing to take away uh, from this podcast, I want people to have this in their mind. Rates, interest rates, if you're worried about interest rates rising and if you're scared about investing because you fear interest rates are rising, please stand back. That is a very, very irrational, it's an understandable, but it's an irrational fear to have because Projections in the future are for interest rates to remain extremely low, if not fall further. So we're seeing it in London, we're seeing it in the US, we're seeing it in Singapore, we're seeing it in all these large markets. Uh, investors are getting in, even New Zealand, investors are getting in on the assumption that rates will remain low. And that's why they're paying 2 2.5% yield for their properties in prime markets because it's better than getting a half a percent yield in the bank it's a really good analogy you've got to get in i don't think you should be waiting and sitting on the fence for too much longer so pete we've got um we've been getting a lot of client questions jenny has been pushing it through all of our socials and um i really like this segment this question today comes from uh, will h he sent us a question on linkedin 
He says, I am 36 years old. I have 200K in savings account, 100K in shares. Where would you recommend investing? I'm looking at other states such as South Australia or regional areas in New South Wales. Before your answer, I just want to say that everybody, this is not financial advice. This is Peter and I having a chat, our opinion. Thank you for your question. Over to you, Peter. What do you have to say to Will? I think you want to stick to the premier markets. Don't compromise on quality, Will. Uh, it takes a very long time to save 200 grand. Uh, so congratulations, but you probably spent a little bit too much time saving that money. That's okay. You're still young and you have time up your sleeve. The worst thing you can do now is to go into an inferior market because that's you're going to fall further behind uh, on the curve. So you want to go in, you want to stick to New South Wales or you want to stick to Victoria. As Dom and I just said on, earlier on this podcast, Victoria has some great long-term opportunities. I'd probably be buying a house or a townhouse um, in Melbourne, 30, 40 uh, kilometers out from the CBD, um, you know, 450, 500, 600 grand. You've got ample deposit there subject to your lending situation, which we are not licensed to give you advice on. Speak to a broker, get pre-approved, and then, you know, speak to the wealthy team because we've got great opportunities in that range. That's where I'd be looking. Great advice or great, great opinion. <laughs> uh, what I, I want to I want to say one thing as well. So um, I had a podcast for all of you that haven't seen it with Adam Gahar. He is a very very intelligent man that runs EG Funds Management. They've got billions of dollars under uh, management in their book. They buy a residential, commercial. They do developments. He's seen many uh, economic and and uh, investment cycles. One thing that resonated to me was he said investments tend to go back to their normalized rate. So if their average rate of return on an investment over 50, 60, 70 years is you know, 7% growth rate with a 3.5% or 4% yield, it'll trend back to that number. So if you see an investment that spikes and it's, it's outperforming the market for a while, it will tend to come back down to a much lower rate. If you see an investment that's underperforming, then it's likely to have a time in the sun and it will grow again. So with that in mind, I want us to go back to what Peter said there. And I wouldn't be going regional markets. I wouldn't be looking at Hobart, South Australia. I wouldn't be looking at Perth. I remember those markets when they're in a hell of a lot of pain and doing nothing. I would stay to metropolitan cities. I would stay you know, within an hour, if you can, of the CBD, as close as you can to the CBD, and go and, depending on what your investment mandate is, I think apartments are great, townhouses are great, and land content is preferable. I really do like land content. So 200K is a massive deposit. I would be looking at buy, probably buying a house for, you know, $600,000 and hedge your bets. Thank you, Will, for your question. Okay, so last but not least, uh, Pete, what, you know, thank you for coming on the show today. It's been awesome to jump on. It's number 100. What is your parting thought? You, you, what's your last little bit of words of wisdom for the people that are listening out there? My words of wisdom are, this is our 100th podcast episode, um, but we sat down a couple of weeks ago and we said we're only at 100 and we started planning for the next hundred and then the few hundred after that. And so we're very ambitious. Um, you can go back in this channel and have a listen to where our podcasts were 
two or three years ago where they are today and you know i want you to subscribe and listen to where we are in two or three years time and we're sharing our journey and i think it's a journey investing is a journey business is a journey there's anything that you can learn from us it's that you should never give up have grit you don't have to start perfect constant improvements over time make a big difference and that we're going into a world that has more uncertainty the rules have changed so make sure you can open up your mind to different opportunities different views assume that you could be wrong and hopefully you're not hopefully you're right all the best and thanks for everybody who's been following us and backing us and thanks to you dom for putting in the hard yards to help host and produce uh, these hundred episodes and uh, looking forward to the next hundred Appreciate it, Pete, and that's good advice. I want to leave one message to all of you out there. It's on the wall behind me. I think it's one of the most important messages you can actually live by personally. That's why we got it on the wall. I, I really love the idea of thinking big. Thinking big, thinking bigger than what you're currently thinking because you know, I wouldn't have thought we'd do 100 episodes. I wouldn't have thought we'd have a team of 10 and I wouldn't have thought that we'd have people then also in London and, and you know, it's growing faster and bigger than I originally intended. Um, I, I also say start small. You know, I learned this from Peter. I tend to overcomplicate everything and I think just start small. Get the little wins, do the little thing that you can today because momentum is an amazing thing. And with momentum, we want you to just keep on growing and it's that 1% every single day. Especially now, times are tough and you can beat yourself up for not, you know, going to the gym five days a week or doing the big stuff. But just that little bit every single day, just get up and tick away. It means so much and it amounts to something massive down the road. So thank you all for listening. Um, and if you've got any questions, thoughts, ideas, send it to the team. Subscribe, share it with all your friends. Thank you for watching and we'll catch you all later. See you guys.